but I've been tracing things in Lightburn to just use in EasyCAD, like yeah. right off the bat. I, and I have, I mean, I have a work. couple of fiber lasers and I do the same. I actually do a lot of my job set up for fiber work in Lightburn, yeah. Yeah, including yeah. for images. Um, I've done, I won't have it nearby, so I can't show it to you, but I have, uh, um, I have a couple of those little aluminum black business cards um, yeah. that I've done image engravings on and they turn out really, really nicely. Like you can use Lightburn to process the image and use all of the imaging features in Lightburn. Um, and that would actually be probably the next thing that I think is underutilized. Um, a lot of a lot of the posts that I see on Facebook where people are asking, hey, how do you get an image ready for laser? I have Lightburn. People will say, use the ImageR website, use uh, Photograv, use OneTouch mm -hmm. Photo, use- Oh, not Photograv, oh no. <laughs> You don't need any of that. Like <laughs> yeah. all of those same features with a few exceptions. Like ImageR has a background remover tool and they've got a couple of other things that Lightburn won't do, but everything else um, is just built into Lightburn and I get fantastic results. Um, I think the only thing that we're missing at this point is sort of the pre-built recipes where you can quite literally just say, I want this choice and right. have it do everything for you. Um, so if you're really lazy, ImageR is great. Um, yeah. But if you're willing to actually take the time to tweak the settings a little bit, Lightburn gets pretty fantastic results. What's up, guys? It's Alex over at Laser Everything, and welcome to another episode of the Laser Source Podcast, the number one podcast if you are looking to grow or scale your laser business. Today, we have a very, very special guest with us. Uh, this is Jason from Lightburn, and uh, this is the man behind the curtain, one of them. There's a few of you guys right now. There is. <clears throat> uh, we have four developers total, including myself. Um, and Lightburn itself, uh, as a company now has about 11 staff, like 11 wow. people working full time. Yeah. It's I, honestly, it's kind of insane even to me and I'm running the thing. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, before we get into the, the deep end of this, I'd also just like to take a quick second to thank my co-hosts for today. We've got Gio. What's going on, Gio? How's it going? Patrick is here with us. Hey, Patrick. Hello, everyone. And of course, the big Tony. What's up, Tony? Hey, what's going on, everyone? Hey, yo. So um, we have just like, I. so I sat down. We're very last minute planners. I wanted to get you our questions a little more in advance, but we're all just like horribly unorganized. So I had the staff just give me like just a list of things that they wanted to ask. And it's like pages long. So we're, we're not going to get to all of it. I'm going to try to prioritize. I The very first thing. So laser everything i don't know if you've watched too much of the channel but we have a lot of content about fiber lasers and they run on easy cad yep. i don't know how often you get this question but maybe you could shed <laughs> shed i know that it's hard but we we understand like the basic we know that it's hard we know that easy cad is proprietary software we know that they use proprietary boards yeah what what are the hurdles that need to be overcome to get us to using Lightburn on Galvo-based systems? Well, where do, what do we need to accomplish to get there? Um, there are a couple of things. So talking to the hardware is the biggest hurdle at the moment, at least. Um, mm. And the company, BJJ, uh, Beijing JCZ company, has made it 
very, very difficult to talk to their hardware. And having done a bunch of the reverse engineering of their protocol and the way that you talk to the hardware, I actually feel like it was intentional on their part. They've made it so that it is difficult fundamentally for somebody to talk to their hardware. Um, I do have some progress in that regard. I can't share details until we're at a point where I think it's actually going to be like a legitimate product that we can sell or where I'm kind of um, past what I call the hump or the inflection point. When you're doing something that you've never done before, you know, you're at this beginning bit where you're like, I have no idea if this is going to work ever. Right. And then when you clear the major hurdles, you're like, oh, okay, now this actually looks like there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I think maybe, you know, this will work at some point. We're not at that point yet. Right. Um, right. But I have actually gotten a fiber laser to, you know, move in a circle and I can move, turn the red dot off and on and I can do a couple of other things. I just haven't actually been able to get it to stream uh, data yet. Like uh, when you launch a job on a fiber, when you hit the start button and it starts actual marking, yeah. the software sends a giant wad of data to the fiber and the fiber just chews through that. So I can send it a, you know, a bunch of go to this position, go to that position, go to that position kind of uh, commands, but mm. I can't send it a stream yet. It won't accept streams from me. So, so we're this still is, working this on is that. On your, this is on your radar though. You're, oh, yeah, you're, this is on, you're thinking about it. It's a priority. Our radar. Um, yeah, we have a lot of priorities. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. Of course you so, do. Um, my biggest priority, honestly, is... Uh, support of our existing customers first right. and foremost. Yeah. And, you know, fiber is a very attractive market because there are a lot of them out there. And if we manage to crack this nut and we can sell Lightburn for fiber lasers, that opens up a, a whole new segment of the market for us. And obviously that's attractive. It's more money, but it also takes development time to make that work. And I have to prioritize existing customers and feature requests and that kind of thing for the current software, you know, and then kind of whatever time is left over, which isn't a whole lot, gets devoted to new product and stuff like that. So, and we're also trying to grow the staff. It's totally okay if you just want to no comment this. I, I will accept that as an answer. But is there anything where we just chop the EasyCAD board? out of the thing and Lightburn oh, says, hello, here is our Lightburn Galvo laser controller. Is that something that there's a possibility there that you guys could actually just develop a board? It's not completely infeasible, um, mm -hmm. but it would probably be harder to go that route, honestly. Um, I personally don't have the chops to, uh, or I shouldn't say the chops, I don't have the knowledge required to build a fiber controller. Um, sure. I suspect that, you know, that's a pretty niche set of skills. Um, there are other fiber laser controllers out there. There's a company called uh, HA Laser. Um, there's another company in China that I know, I believe their name is BSL. Um, and there are a couple of others. Uh, so it may be possible for me to approach one of those companies, um, develop fiber for fiber support for their hardware and just have people swap the boards but I believe at this point, BJJCZ has the bulk of the market. And so they are the, the most attractive. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. I Obviously you guys are putting so much work into the software like every day. It must be like super long days for you guys. And I just, I don't understand. And this is not a complaint. 
I'm just let me preface this. I'm not complaining. How is Lightburn so goddamn inexpensive? <laughs> How do you guys keep it so cheap? I know you guys just did a price increase too, but like yeah. it's compared to other software in this world and in this industry, Lightburn is so freaking inexpensive. And I just don't under am I really getting screwed that bad by all of the other companies? Or are you guys doing something different? I would say that we're doing something different. Um, no, you're not getting screwed. Software is worth whatever whoever's making it is willing to give it to you for, honestly. Right. Like it's, you know, pricing is one of those weird things where it's a combination of what the market will bear and what you genuinely think something is worth. Um, when I started Lightburn, it was very new, had zero name, uh, you know, nobody knew who we were. And we had people asking, are you going to give it away? Are you going to sell it? Are you and that kind of thing? Um, and I chose a price point that I thought was fair for hobbyists um, mm -hmm. and kind of on the low ball end for DSP users. And that was a conscious choice partially to gain market segment. Right. Um, and we wanted to do our first price increase or our first significant price increase when we hit version 1.0, when we felt that we had a version that was stable enough and feature complete enough that we could call it 1.0. Right. And that's what we that's when we made our first price jump. And even then, I don't want to price Lightburn to the point where I'm knocking out large portions of the market. Um, there are a lot of people in countries whose dollar is traded less favorably to the US dollar by a significant amount. So uh, Brazil, lots of places in the Middle East, India, um, they're even Australia, frankly, I mean, their dollar is significantly uh, devalued compared to the US dollar. And so for somebody living in Australia or Canada or India, purchasing this software is a significant chunk of money compared to what it would be as a US citizen. Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to keep it fair and affordable for everybody, not just for, you know, people nearby. Um, and the company itself has pretty low overhead. We don't have a ton of employees. You know, like I said, we've got four developers and their salaries are probably the biggest expense that we have. And as long as I can afford to run the business and, you know, continue to pay my guys and pay them well, um, there's not really a dramatic need to price the software much higher than we have it. Uh, right. that's, no, that's a great answer. Um, outside of the U.S., what country or part of the, the globe is your biggest customer? Uh, I know the U.S. is probably number one. Yeah, U.S., uh, I think right now is about 50% of our sales. And then the other 50% is kind of this long and slow declining tail of every other country, just about. Um, I would say US, uh, I think UK, Germany, um, UK and Germany are probably vying for second place, maybe with Canada in there. Um, <clears throat> and then it just, you know, goes off from there. Like I know we sell to China, uh, China, not in large numbers, um, uh, France, Spain, Italy, um, the Netherlands, uh, it, it's just, I could show you the list and it's, it's basically, there's probably like six or seven countries that aren't represented. Um, but it's just a very, very long, slow decline after the, you know, the United States. Have you had any um, trouble like protecting your intellectual property with Lightburn when selling to countries like China? 
Um, it's not so much when selling to countries like China. The companies mm -hmm. that we do business with uh, have so far all been very above board and you know quite kind. So it's um, just company to company. If that is, you're just choosing good partners. Um, yes, and honestly, I think that most companies who are approaching us, for example, and saying, "Hey, we would like Lightburn to support our hardware," they are looking to establish a relationship, and they're not interested in screwing themselves over. In the moment that <laughs> right. you, right, you know, they're trying to build, they're trying to build relationships and trust. And the way to do that is not pirate our software. Um, right. There are, however, people like there are uh, sellers on Alibaba. Who, mm. or AliExpress, who will sell Lightburn for $20. Um, we do not sell Lightburn for lower than what our advertised price is on our website, and no one does. So if you're finding a copy right. of Lightburn somewhere for 20 bucks, it's not a legitimate copy of Lightburn. That said, you do have some partnerships where Lightburn's included with machines, right? Like I know Omtech yes. is one of those yeah. companies where like yeah. if you buy an Omtech machine and it comes paired with Lightburn, that's legit. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah, that is a legitimate license. And we do that. Uh, we've got a bunch of DSP part or DSP partners. So like Thunder Laser, Aeon Laser, uh, Boss Laser, Laguna Tools. There's a bunch of others in the United States who sell CO2 machines that come with them. And there are also diode laser sellers who are either including Lightburn or at least offering it as an option. So even right. Sane, Sane Smart, who makes fairly small like mini CNC machines um mm -hmm. that are g-code based and they have a laser attachment for them they, they sell lightburn as well and they are right. a legitimate seller there's a bunch of others um, wow let me ask you this so talking about piracy so is there a risk mitigation when or is there a, a a process that you guys do to mitigate piracy or once it's out there they're pretty much free for that version i mean in my mind there's a you know there's a small amount of effort that you make to try to prevent piracy. And we've done that by having the licensing system that um, is unfortunately necessary. I've done software that was by the honor system before and basically didn't go anywhere, almost went broke. Um, yeah. So I wish we didn't have to have a licensing system, but we do. Um, past that, that's, you know, once that licensing system is defeated, then it really doesn't take much effort for them to defeat it again, you know, and again and again, every time we do a new release, somebody realizes we're using the same system, they make the same changes to the code. And the best thing that I can do to prevent people from pirating the software is to keep releasing it quickly, keep adding new features and basically give people a compelling reason to support us. And I think that we're doing that. I do think you guys are absolutely doing that. I it, I think the price point really helps you out too yeah. uh, on that front because I mean like I'm I'm not a saint, okay? I'm not a perfect person. I've pirated software, but I don't pirate $40 software or $60 yeah. software. You just yeah. don't it's not it's not worth it. You know what I mean? It, there's just no point. Like just buy the most recent version and have your official support and it, it's just you get so much for so little, I think it's a big benefit there. Yeah, there are people that I know of in the United States, for example, who are running a business who have asked for pirated versions of Lightburn or who are running cracks because they don't want to pay the update fee. And to them, mm. screw them. Um, if you are, <laughs> yeah. if you are a person who's living in a third world country or a country with uh, like trade embargoes or restrictions on it. Um, like 
we occasionally have people from places like Lebanon or Libya or Kuwait or, you know, places like that who are fairly war-torn, who have limited access to even modern tech, who've managed to cobble themselves together a laser cutter out of, or a diode engraver out of parts that they found, you know, yeah. got an Arduino from someone and flashed Gerbil on it. If they want to pirate the software because they can't afford it any other way, I don't really have a problem with that. I honestly don't. <laughs> you, you, you worked for you, yeah. you worked for this. Yeah. 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 You kind of yeah. earned it at that point. Yeah, so, totally. I you like know, it. I, when great. I was a you know a 12-year-old kid, I used to crack like pirate games, crack games, stuff like that, because I had no money. And yeah, sure. as soon as I had a real job and I did have an income, then I started buying stuff. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, so, I mean, you've got, you guys have so many customers. You probably see, I mean, how, so what, what methods do you have in place, if any, to like see, do you guys get any um, like user analytics on the software based on like how people are using it? Or we do you don't. just get like raw feedback? Yeah, we basically just get raw feedback from the customers. We don't have analytics. We don't have any sort of call home mechanism in the software. Um, mm -hmm. Part of that is, Doing that requires standing up a server somewhere in the cloud that's uh, persistent that the user systems can talk to. And we just didn't have the infrastructure when I first started. We do now. Um, mm -hmm. And we may add that. Um, if I did add it, it would be explicitly noted in the uh, installation and it would be something that users could opt out of or possibly even have them opt into. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, mostly we just work from user feedback. I'm in a lot of Facebook groups. Uh, most yeah. of my guys are in a lot of Facebook groups, and you know we we have our own forum as well, like our user forum. Mm -hmm. And so we get a lot of direct feedback from users. We have a request site, that kind of thing. So we do see a lot of the complaints that people have, and uh, and or just requests, suggestions, that kind of thing. And we're constantly looking for ways to improve it based on that stuff. Are there are there features that you think? are underutilized by people? Like what kind of features do you think Lightburn has built in that people just like aren't using and, and it's driving you nuts? You're like, it's right there and it's amazing <laughs> and you guys don't even know it exists. Like, what do you want to tell people is in Lightburn right now that they can start using right now that's awesome that, that might be underutilized? Um, underutilized features, gosh. Um, well, print and cut is kind of a big one um, because I I've never like... done print and cut. I don't even know what that is. Me either. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Patrick actually mentioned that he had done that sign that was 36 by what was it? Sorry. 60. 36 by 60. Um, and I'm guessing that he doesn't have a machine that is 36 by 60. <laughs> so um, print and cut basically is a way to tell Lightburn to align the job that it is sending to the laser to something that already physically exists. Um, and you don't need a camera to do it. You just need uh, sharp points somewhere on the job that you can mark. And so print and cut, actually, the term comes from a, uh, a standard print industry thing where, like, quite literally, you print a job on paper and then you mm -hmm. put that paper or cardboard or whatever into a cutting machine and you use registration marks on the print to tell the cutting machine, here's where these two points are. Right. And then the cutting machine aligns the job or the cutting part of the job to those points and cuts it out. So, I mean, if you were printing Sounds pizza like magic. boxes on cardboard or something like that, you know, you could place two registration marks on the cardboard and then have the, the cutting tool cut the cardboard out around the print. So people use it to make things like stickers. Um, if somebody has a dye sublimation printer and prints out 
a pattern or a, a graphic of some kind onto dye sub material and then adheres that to acrylic, you can use registration marks that you printed onto the acrylic to line up the cutting job. And yeah. I mean, it's it's super accurate. Like I've, I've used it, uh, we have a video on our YouTube channel for how to recover a failed job using the print and cut feature. What? So if, if you run a cut in wood and it doesn't quite make it all the way through and you pull the wood out of the machine and go, oh crap, you know, at that point it's done. There's almost right. it, no I've way I've been in that situation so many times. Machine and line yeah. it back up again. And with yeah. the printing cut feature, as long as that file has corners that you can use to line your little red dot pointer up with, you can tell Lightburn, here's where this part of the job is, here's where that part of the job is, and the software is like, oh, so it's there. And yep, that's so cool. I had no idea you could do that. Yeah, it's pretty slick. So that one's probably my favorite. Uh, we've been adding lots of other stuff like snaps, um, drag snapping. Um, so Lightburn has lots of small things like that. Like I feel like node editing is probably underutilized, um, largely because it's not menu driven. It's all hotkeys right now. Right. Um, and so I need to add buttons and menu items and, you know, that kind of I'll thing. I'll tell but you the, my biggest underutilized feature, every single dude sitting above me in this window right now has told me to use Lightburn's trace function. Oh yeah. And yeah. I refused for so long. I was, <laughs> I was like, I was like, no, I pay fifty bucks a month for this stupid copy of Illustrator. Like, I'm gonna use it. Lightburn blows it out of the water, dude. Like, it's so good, and I don't understand how you guys are doing it. You're whooping a multi-million dollar company's ass yeah. on like this basic function. It's just like mind-meltingly good. Yeah. We do need to add a few things to the trace feature, but I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, the trace feature in Lightburn is actually licensed from a company in Canada called uh, Icosasoft, and they gotcha. make the they make the open source tracing engine used in Inkscape it's called Potrace. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so they have a dual licensing model. You can use open source, or you can pay to license it in commercial software. And so that's what we're doing. And so they give you the core. And you pass that core library, you know, here's the image that I want you to trace and here are the settings that I want used. And so kind of the secret sauce in Lightburn is I'm doing a little bit of processing in advance before we pass the image to the Potrace system. And the UI is just nice to use. It's clean. Yeah. Uh, I've actually had people say that they've gotten better results using the trace feature in Lightburn than they have in Inkscape. And I'm like, well, that's weird because they're identical. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can say for my end, um, I, I actually someone showed me the trace feature. Alex Campbell, we all know him. Um, he was like, dude, I don't even use Illustrator to trace anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? So how do you trace? He's like, I use yeah. and I'm like, what? So I tried it and I'm like, holy crap, it's freaking true. And um, and that's all I've been exclusively using, just light burn to trace. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it blows my mind. I've even been tracing things in Lightburn and then bringing them. I You have to do an intermediate step, which kind of sucks, where you have to get them prepared to bring them into EasyCAD. But I've been tracing things in Lightburn to just use in EasyCAD, like yeah. right off the bat. I, and I have, I mean, I have a work. couple of fiber lasers and I do the same. I actually do a lot of my job set up for fiber work in Lightburn, yeah. Yeah, including yeah. for images. Um, I've done, I won't have it nearby, so I can't show it to you, but I have a... Uh, um, I have a couple of those little aluminum black business cards um, yeah. that I've done image engravings on, and they turn out 
really, really nicely. Like you can use Lightburn to process the image and use all of the imaging features in Lightburn. Um, and that would actually be probably the next thing that I think is underutilized. Um, a lot of a lot of the posts that I see on Facebook where people are asking, hey, how do you get an image ready for laser? I have Lightburn. People will say, use the ImageR website, use uh, Photograv, use OneTouch mm -hmm. Photo, use it. Oh, not Photograv. Oh, no. You, you don't need any of that. Like <laughs> yeah. all of those same features with a few exceptions. Like ImageR has a background remover tool and they've got a couple of other things that Lightburn won't do, but everything else um, is just built into Lightburn and I get fantastic results. Um, I think the only thing that we're missing at this point is sort of the pre-built recipes where you can quite literally just say, I want this choice and right. have it do everything for you. Um, so if you're really lazy, ImageR is great. <laughs> yeah. um, but if you're willing to actually take the time to tweak the settings a little bit, Lightburn gets pretty fantastic results. I, and, since we have such a, a large fiber laser audience, I just want to ask, and I don't want to get too technical or, or get off kind of on a tangent, but when I do a trace in Illustrator and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll export that as an AI, right? Mm -hmm. And then that is what I want to bring into EasyCAD. I find I have to bring it into something like Adobe Illustrator and make a compound path out of those paths in order for it to hatch correctly in EasyCAD. Is that how you do it too? Or do you have a different um, system for it? Or can that, that make compound path be done in Lightburn? I think like any time that I've done prep for EasyCAD, I've just exported directly from Lightburn as, and I can't remember off the top of my head if it's an AI or an SVG. Okay. Um, but I uh, like I engraved my um, I engraved my laptop at one point. I did a, a jumping Mario uh, okay. on the back of a MacBook, and I did that using Lightburn, uh, traced the image in Lightburn, exported the path in Lightburn, just loaded it up in EasyCAD, and it just worked. Cool. So, all right, I'll have to play with it a little more, but uh, just a random thing over there. Patrick, you got, I see you're holding something up over there. What do you got going on? These, uh, I printed these cards, it's made out of cardstock for earrings that my wife makes and have a template and light burn. So, after these come off the printer, I stack them up and staple them and use print and cut to cut out a stack of cardstock for, uh, Earring packaging. It, uh, oh, yeah, the earring packaging came out really, really well. Yeah, yeah. the print cool cuts uh, wonderful for many things. Yeah, we used to do that. Uh, my girlfriend and I used to make, she made jewelry, and I made a lot of the engineering stuff to go with it. So I would uh, engrave the like our logo onto the boxes, um, and I would prep the jobs for the laser, stuff like that. But we just did uh, uh, either a cardboard or an MDF jig you just take a, like a rectangular piece of wood, slide it up into the back corner of your laser so that it butted up into the corner of the honeycomb bed. Mm -hmm. And then I would just use absolute positioning to cut uh, template holes out for that. And if you label where that upper corner is and you always place the job uh, or place that material into the wood or into the machine at that exact same point, then using absolute coordinates works really well for that stuff too. Print and cut is awesome for taking something that uh, you don't have that level of control over, or you don't have like an anchor point that you can use. Um, or if you're mixing, mixing processes, like actually printing something on a printer or running a job on a CNC machine or something like that, and then taking that output and dropping it into your laser, uh, for that you need print and cut. One quick question. 
what is what camera do you recommend for Lightburn? I, I know that there's all types of cameras, but is there one that you specifically yourself are like get this? We one? we sell them, and those okay. are the reason we sell them is because I originally didn't support uh, or didn't have the ability to change the resolution of the camera uh, using the software framework that we use to build Lightburn on, and the only way to get it to use the highest resolution available to the camera was to actually modify the firmware in the camera, not in the software. Mm -hmm. And so we found a manufacturer who was willing to tweak their firmware and they did. So we got those cameras, we started selling them on our site. Um, and then eventually I re rewrote the camera capture library in Lightburn so that it would support a much wider range. And so now that's less necessary. Um, but the cameras that we sell, we also have pre-done lens calibrations for, and I've taken the measurements for field of view and so on. So I know, you know, if your machine is this big by this big and you're going to mount the camera this high, this is that field of view. And so that's going to capture this much of the bed. Like I can do that math for you. Um, whereas if you just buy a random camera off of Amazon, I can't do that. Yeah. Let's um, so just, if you want, just quick plug and play, just grab the one on your website. Yeah, cool. and we actually have a camera selector in Lightburn. If you go to the help menu, uh, you can click on the camera selection help tool and it will give you a list of all of the cameras that we have. And given the size of your laser, it will tell you here's the minimum mounting height that you would need to put this camera over your laser for it to see the whole working area. Perfect. And nice. then you just kind of pick from that based on where you are going to mount the camera. We generally recommend like open the door, mount the camera right there so that it's looking straight down at the laser bed. And that's the ideal spot. If you're directly above the center of the workpiece, you get more even camera coverage. If you are looking like uh, the Emblazer 2 diode laser, they have a camera built into their machine. And the camera is actually mounted in the rear of the machine, just kind of above the uh, above the center line. So it's it's got a really extreme downward like angle and a really wide fisheye. And so you get sort of this cone shaped coverage area uh, in the software. Um, but it works. It actually still works remarkably well. They uh, the, the software internally does all kinds of crazy math to correct the perspective distortion and the fisheye and everything else. So, well, I know the speaking of crazy math, Geo has some questions, I think, and I, he's listed them, but I'm going to let him ask them about just like how you've, you know, reverse engineered something like RD works and like, you know, developing questions and things like that. What's on your mind, Geo? Cause I want to give you an opportunity to ask those kind of questions. Uh, yeah, I, I, you kind of covered it a little bit, but I was just kind of curious how you went, um, what languages you're you're working with and how you went about uh, reverse engineering something like RD works? Um, so the language that I chose to write Lightburn in is C++ um, because it is fast. Um, I'm a game developer by trade. I actually worked in the video game industry starting in 1993. Um, so I've been doing it for a while, probably older than I look. Um, and the nice thing about C++ is that it is a compiled language. And so when you're finished the application, it's native assembly code running on the hardware. So it's fast. And, you know, uh, we're writing Lightburn on a platform framework called Qt uh, or Qt. Um, and that platform framework handles the abstraction 
uh, for the abstraction for the hardware or the operating system that we're using. So I can write code in C++ compiled on the Qt platform framework, and that code can then be compiled in Linux, Mac, PC, Windows, um, or what are we doing? Win32, uh, Win64, Linux, and Mac are the ones that we're doing right now. Um, but we could, in theory, compile it for the Raspberry Pi. We could compile it for iOS wow. devices. You could compile it for other hardware. Um, I was going to say, when, when is Lightburn coming to my uh, Google Pixel? Yeah. <laughs> Not for a while. Uh, we have a lot of requests, actually, for like a, an iOS version, something that you know people could use on their iPad. Um, the problem that I have with that is Lightburn was written from the inception as a desktop application with you know menu bar at the top and drop down menus and hotkeys and keyboard support and mouse and you know, a totally different UI situation. Yeah, we would have to rewrite probably the whole UI to make it work on a on a tablet. And the UI in a software application is surprisingly difficult. Like when you get to the scale of something like Lightburn, uh, just making a UI that's clean and usable, um, oh. which arguably it is, hopefully it is. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's it's very, very complicated. You know, you start getting into weird interactions between controls, things like that. Like it's it's tough. Um, so it's something that we might do at some point. We might have a stripped down version or uh, something that's more like a remote control uh, with less of the design features, something like that. We've had a bunch of internal conversations about, you know, kind of the direction we'd like to go there. But um, all of that is developer time, opportunity cost. Like if we do this, how much do we expect to get as a return from doing that compared yeah. to if we were to devote that effort to something else, like maybe nesting? How much of a return will we get from that? You know, which one of those is going to give us the biggest bang for the buck for the most of our customer base? Like, <clears throat> we have to do that math. That's harder math so, than some of the math we do. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say. So what? What? What do you? What do you do every day? I, I mean, I know that you're like ineffably busy, but like, what? I'm just an average day. Like when you wake up, like how are you? Are you spending your time like coding all day every day? Is that still your primary thing, or are you doing Not more big picture point. stuff now? Yeah. I mean, so we have, like I said, we've got four developers, including myself. Uh, I'm still the lead developer, and so I still um, direct the coding effort a lot in Lightburn. Um, I'm also one of the support engineers. So if you contact Lightburn support, there is a decent chance that I'm the one answering your questions. Um, I've just hired a business manager, so basically somebody to come on and take over the role of COO. And mm -hmm. uh, so he's ramping up now, and that's taking a decent amount of the business operations off of my plate. Previously, I was doing all of those as well. So right. relationships with uh, the other companies that we do business with, um, contacting vendors, just managing our tax compliance, filing our taxes at the end of the year, all of that kind of stuff. Like, there's a surprising amount of that that happens and it's it's nice to be able to just offload that on someone um but yeah so i do a lot of support i'm in a lot of facebook groups i'm on our user forum uh, i am also the lead developer so i'm constantly looking at feedback from users and trying to figure out kind of longer range plans what are we going to do you know over the next couple of weeks couple of months couple of years potentially to figure yeah. out you know, kind of the direction that we want to take the software. And we've got multiple branches of the software at any given time sort of running, um, doing 
short-term bug fixes, slightly longer-term feature additions, and then you know even still longer-term uh, refactoring of the code, gutting certain things in the code that we think are deficient or could use rewriting, and you know those things tend to take longer because we have to maintain backward compatibility with mm -hmm. everything that all people already have. Like if you install a new version of Lightburn and suddenly none of your old files work, that's a problem. So. Um, doing any really large sweeping changes to the software has to be done very, very carefully. Um, yeah. Yeah. Has has Windows 11 impacted? Um, Not, yet. No. Not yet. Uh, no, uh, Windows 11, everything seems to be fine. Um, the uh, Mac OS and Apple M1 chips, um, so far, Knockwood, haven't wow. caused any problems. Um, so yeah, they're, uh, that one was the one I was more worried about, frankly, because it's a different hardware architecture. At least Windows 11 is still running on PC like Intel chips. Yeah. Yeah. As um so I mean with trying to get all of the software to work on everything all of the time. <laughs> are there are there any controllers that you would like have people avoid or anything that you would definitely like do you like really like the Ruida controllers or like is there another one where you'd be like don't don't mess with this. This is constantly giving us headaches or um I, just from like I, a light burn perspective i don't think so honestly i mean yeah. if we support it uh, once something is fully supported it tends to stay relatively stable um mm -hmm. ruida is my go-to mostly because it was the first controller that we supported and mm -hmm. because of that the uh feature set is probably most closely matched with the ruida controller um right. trosen controllers were next and they had, at least at the time that Lightburn support was originally written for them, they didn't have the ability to choose which origin mode you were using in the software. Um, you had to do that from the hardware. Um, they didn't have the ability to set the rotary, uh, rotary setup in software, and mm. they didn't have Z control. Um, but aside from that, everything else was basically the same. And once we got to a... A, a significant level of market penetration. Um, both Ruida and Trosen now talk to me, um, talk wisdom. Like I've I've got a couple of people from their engineering teams um, in my email address, and I can send them an email and just ask questions now. But when right. we first started, I, you know, I sent an email to Ruida asking, "Hey, would you guys be willing to share some of the details for how these commands work?" And they were basically a very polite go away. We don't know you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And I can't say I would have done anything different uh, if I were them. Um, but I think that they've come to realize that we are helping their sales, not hindering them. We're not right, right. You know, we're not something that they need to look at as a threat. We're actually helping them gain adoption in the Western market or English speaking markets. Right. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? I mean, at, in this day and age, in this, and it's so much has changed in like, I would say like the last 10 years. If you want a successful laser product at this point, like you either need to have the smoothest proprietary solution in the entire world, or you need to support Lightburn. But yeah, like exactly. Those are your two options now. And if you don't support Lightburn, like I just, you're, I feel like there's no path to success at that point. And not to not to prop you up as the villain. I don't want to make you into a bad guy to these controller <laughs> companies, but I'm really interested in in hardware. I like hardware. I, is there ever maybe a whiff of like a light burn controller in the future, or are you like just so disinterested in that? And you are a software company, and that's what you what that's. What um, 
I'm absolutely not disinterested in that. It's mm -hmm. a matter of where our time is best spent, where our Again, yeah. um, and where our skill sets lie. So right. um, myself and a couple of the devs that I have, um, we're all tinkerers. Like, I mean, always be tinkering for science. Uh, <laughs> yes. we, uh, the uh, the little orange box right there above my thumb yep. Um, yep. was built from scratch by Adam Hale, uh, highly probably mispronouncing his his name. I always get this wrong, um, but he's my he was the second developer uh, on Lightburn. Um, he That's worked it. for me as a contractor for a while and then came on full time. Um, and he's very much like me, probably more so in that he's a perpetual maker. He's always building stuff. Um, so, you know, that thing is very, very well mechanically engineered. He designed the entire thing in Fusion 360, 3D printed all of the orange parts, um, you know, wow. sold them as a kit. Uh, he yeah. makes electronics. You know, I've I've written the uh, control firmware for a drone. Um, I've made myself a self-balancing skateboard. I you know, that kind of thing. Like we, the people that we have working for Lightburn as the development team are all makers and builders and people who do this kind of thing for fun. Right. And so, producing our own board would absolutely not be out of the question. It's just a matter of. That balance. You know, that balance. And do I think I could do it better than Ruida at this point? No. And right. as long as somebody else is making a board that is as good or better than I think I could do, I might as well let them do it so I can focus on doing the software. Right, right. That totally makes uh, absolutely One thing uh, real quick. Good sense. The, yeah. The, the um, EasyCAD, they weren't, I don't know if you answered this, they weren't playing ball if you asked them, hey, can we? No. Okay. No, they are they are a wall. Okay, okay, perfect. That's all <laughs> I, I, want, I don't know if I missed that earlier. That's all I wanted. No, to I, I don't think I mentioned anything in that respect. But I, I have a conversation going with uh, one of their sales guys, one of their R and D guys, and one of their technical people on WeChat, and they've been uh, they've been friendly. But when you get to the point where you're like, okay, so. I need to know how this specific command works, then it's just, you know, no. Okay. Um, Nothing, they are not no. interested in sharing. Uh, so, yeah. But was what, that your biggest um, hurdle trying to break into RD works then is, is trying to figure out the commands and, and how mm -hmm. did you kind of figure mm -hmm. those out on your own? Um, there was a bit of work already done by uh, some prior people basically who had published some stuff online uh, that I was able to find. Um, RD works or the Ruida controller that I had, basically the, the backstory is I bought a laser off of eBay. Um, I was signed up for the Glowforge Kickstarter and then they missed their first ship date. They missed another ship date, found out that it was cloud only and was like, no. And so got my refund and went out and bought an eBay special. It was a KUE. Uh, 700 by 500 red black, which eventually ended up becoming an OM tech. I think OM tech was actually the company selling them. Um, and so I got that laser. It came with a Ruida controller and RD works. Um, the software is functional, but it's clunky. And my girlfriend is a graphic designer who's used to Adobe Illustrator and, you know, uh, well-designed, uh, comprehensive UI products. And she hated it. Like I tried to show her how to use it. 
And she was just like, oh God, what is this? (laughs) So um, Ruida controllers, at least the one that I had, um, can be communicated with over ethernet. And ethernet doesn't require drivers. And it is actually relatively easy to make um, what's called a man in the middle attack. Mm-hmm. So you, I just wrote a uh, program for my MacBook that sat in between my PC and the Ruida controller and everything that the PC sent, it would forward to the Ruida and everything that the Ruida sent would get forwarded to the PC. And so that it was just listening into the conversation in both directions and echoing everything that either end said to the screen as just kind of a dump of the hex. And once you have that, then it's, you know, push the move button, tell it move one millimeter, move half a millimeter, move a quarter of a millimeter, a tenth of a millimeter, and slowly work your way down to the point where when you hit the move button, nothing actually changes. And then you're like, oh, okay, so whatever that granularity is that I picked, that's the granularity of how that thing accepts numbers for the move command. Um, I had to work out some of the descrambling algorithm, but that work was actually done by one of the uh, previous internet people that I mentioned. Um, And then just how do these machines represent numbers? Um, What is the granularity of the numbers that you can send? What's the like precision or resolution that they use? And then once you have those kind of fundamental building blocks, then you're just kind of constantly poking at things. And, you know, what is it? What does the computer say to the machine when I press this or when I press that? Or, you know, that's the live control side of it. And then the other side is when you send a job to the machine, it gets generated and packaged into this big data bundle and that gets sent. And then the machine runs that and figuring out the format of that data uh, took a while. And so the first thing I did was I wrote a program that took one of those RD files and took it apart, rearranged the order of the job or the cuts in it, and then assembled it back together. And I tried running that on the machine and it worked. I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> <And> <laughs> nice. Slowly worked from there at figuring out what all of those commands actually did. Um, yeah. Because there was a, you know, a part of it where it was like, okay, there's this big wad of stuff at the beginning and I have no idea what that does. And then there's some commands here that are all like movement and cutting that looks sort of like G code, but not quite. And then there's some stuff at the end. And I just kind of left the two ends in place and moved the bits around in the middle to see if it would Thank work. Thank God you're here. Cause that is so far <laughs> over my head that it yeah. might be under my head. Like I, I, I can't even begin to start thinking about that kind of stuff. So I, you know, I know we're all really grateful for you guys. I, we we're going to land the plane here in, in just a couple of minutes. We're, we're coming to a close, but really quick before we end, I wanted to just find out what are some of the most requested features that haven't been implemented yet but like people are just like rabid for and i've got i want to kick this off with mine because if i didn't abuse my platform then i wouldn't be a youtube content creator i need a full dark mode full just dark everything i my eyes every time i open light burn i just feel them burning out of the back of my skull it burns you. i need i need like a dark mode okay. uh, so that's my that's my most requested feature what are you hearing from the community they're like we're really feeling the pressure we need to we need to do this um the biggest ones i think are centerline trace that's a big one um and unfortunately the library that we use for image tracing doesn't have that so we're gonna have to write that from scratch and that's 
uh, <laughs> uh, or hard um, nesting. So wait, would would centerline trace yep. give you a sh stroke out of like a body? Yeah, uh, basically centerline trace is if right now in if you were to draw the letter O mm -hmm. and trace it, you get the inner line and the outer line. You Got get the it. two okay. transitions. Lightburn's yep. tracing feature is meant for filled shapes. So if you filled an O and traced it, you get just the outer line. But right, if you right. draw a line, you get both sides of it. A center line trace would extract that stroke. Yes. Gotcha. So and nesting, you were saying? Nesting is huge um, mm -hmm. and also incredibly complicated. Um, there are software libraries that we could license that I think the pricing starts at about $15,000 per SKU oh. um, per year. And that's and that's on the low end. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's also DeepNest and SVG Nest that exist and are open source, and we can use those. Um, mm. But they're written in JavaScript, and Lightburn is not written in JavaScript. So right. porting those is going to be a challenge. Um, but yeah. yeah, that that one's on the table. Um, font support uh, is a big one. So the ability to manipulate text, like have a single piece of text where you can bold part of it or change, uh, the font in just a portion of your text. Yeah. Um, font seems kind of static in Lightburn right now. Yeah, it yeah. is. Um, yeah. that's hard. And yeah. you know, what people actually want is to be able to import uh, a PDF, for example, and have it just drop in and work with all of the text features and everything else. Um, SVG, AI, and PDFs all have very, very, very incredibly complicated support for text. Mm. And we're starting to do that work, but it's it's going to be a long... Sounds like a mountain, yeah. It, it's a lot, yeah. And uh, particularly with PDF, they will embed font information in the PDF itself. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So you actually have to do all of the work of loading and parsing and handling a font first without using the operating system facilities, which is what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. And then once you've got that, then you have to add all of the support for, you know, what they're doing with that font placement, of text, extraction of glyphs, that kind of thing. And like, right, right, so right. it's complicated. I've done, I've done this work before for video games, so I know what's yep. involved, um, but it's, it's going to take some time. Sure. Um, and then fiber support is probably the other one. Like those are uh, centerline trace, fiber support, and nesting, I would say, are probably the top three. Um, and okay. I think nesting is actually the top one. Right, right. And so uh, no, nobody else wants dark mode. It's just me. <laughs> uh, it has been requested. But oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah I need yeah, a I it's, need it's, dark it's, mode. It's, it's a such a godsend compared to RD I'm sure it is. I yeah. think you just take yeah. it as it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I literally refuse to buy a, a Ruida controller machine because of RD Works. Oh, really? And mm -hmm. unfortunately, I'm now stuck with a full spectrum Muse, which oh. I can't use Lightburn with. But yeah, I'm gonna fix that soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that Lightburn exists, you can replace the controller in a full spectrum, and I know a number of people who've done it. Um, I. My mother said, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. So I'm not going to say anything about full spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I, I try and be nice as well. It, it I mean, it does work. So I, I give it that. But I now knowing about Lightburn, I definitely would buy a Rita controller going forward. Yeah. 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 Why wouldn't well, you? I, like, 
four or five I, tumblers and you can pay for it. Uh, yeah, totally, right? right? Five <clears throat> tumblers and then you've paid for a light burn. It's just yep, so easy. Exactly. And that's all thanks to you, man, and your awesome team. Thank you so much for spending some time with us on the podcast today. We're a small channel. It's a smallish community, but I appreciate you taking time out of your ridiculously busy schedule to, to hang out with us and answer some of our questions. I think we had, to, there were some good ones in there, some juicy questions, yeah. and you provided juicier answers than I was expecting. You're, you're a pretty open guy, so I, I appreciate that too, man. Thank you, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, thank you again to our special hosts up here. Uh, if you guys want to buy Lightburn and you don't already own it, you should go buy it. I'll throw a link down in the description for you so you can go check that out. Even if you're using it just to prep artwork for EasyCAD. Yeah. I, like, I, 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 I'm telling you, I was not a believer in this two weeks ago. <laughs> thought it was ridiculous. It's amazing. Go check it out. Lightburnsoftware.com, right? And uh, if people wanted to follow you, do you have like social media that you keep up with? Or are there certain communities you're really active in? I'd love to get you on our Discord too. Uh, we have our own user forum. So just okay. forum.lightburnsoftware.com. Um, we it. do have a Facebook page. We're on YouTube. Uh, we have a TikTok, but we haven't been active there yet. We have an Instagram. Um, most, mostly what I tell people is if you want to interact with us, uh, go to our user forum because that's- Got it social media um on our facebook platform there's really only a limited number of people who have access to that platform on our side and right. if you go to our user forum you can interact with the entire staff and so it's a much better platform for us to interact with people or to provide support um and it's google searchable and all of that so you know we have people every time i post something on facebook inevitably there's a hundred comments that are hey so i can't get blah 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 to work can you help me with this thing and it's just like <laughs> please just go to the place where the support is <laughs> right because right we have the ability to do things like can responses and use you know cut and paste of existing stuff and if i answer sure. on facebook you, nobody else can google search that it's facebook search which is terrible right um, right that makes perfect so, sense yeah so so um, head to the forum for support head that's to the where forum. we need to yeah but yeah. yes we have youtube we have t we're on twitter uh we're on yep. instagram we're on facebook we're all cool. over the place. i will i will include the uh the big link tree down in the description for everybody so they can get all of their uh their light burn goodness that they want to absorb that's right get their light burn fix uh and uh i think that's it guys thank you so much for uh listening to this podcast or watching if you're on youtube if you want to support the channel there's a link down to the laser master academy as well it's down in the description i'm not going to go on about that you guys know what the deal is uh so don't forget to check that out and uh i think that that is it one last big thank you to everybody involved in producing today's podcast. I appreciate every single one of you. Special thanks to Jason, man. It's so great having you on. And we will see you in the next one. Later. Bye.